Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. Welcome to this week's Plant School episode. Today's episode is one that I have had on my list for a while and I just haven't gotten around to it. And once I started researching, I realized how much I loved it. Just like love this topic, love learning about it. And I hope you guys feel the same way by the end of this episode. So today we're talking about medicinal houseplants. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to go through houseplants that are medicinal and some of them you can even use. Like you can find recipes and use them, which is really, really neat. But before we get there, I want to give a background of medicinal plants and kind of hopefully help you realize what exactly that means and have a fuller appreciation for them. So first things first, what does medicinal mean? Now I want to answer this question because I took a class while I was in college called medicinal plants and when I would tell people like, oh I'm headed to medicinal plants, like one of my favorite classes is medicinal plants, They, the most common question I got when I told people was, what is that? Like what's medicinal plants? What does that even mean? Medicinal on its own means a substance or plant having healing properties. But yeah, it was one of my favorite classes in college. I'm actually taking a bit of the knowledge from that class from slideshows. And you're probably like, how do you still have slideshows from a class you took in college years ago? Well, I literally downloaded them when I was enrolled. Not sure if that's like illegal or something. I just wanted to save all the knowledge I had. I didn't trust my notes for the class. So thank you, Professor Alfin. I love you. I may be using some of your notes for this podcast episode and I really appreciate it. Okay, so moving on, what makes a plant medicinal? So plants have hundreds of chemical compounds within them, and they function as defenses against insects and fungi, disease, mammals, basically anything that can attack it or harm it. They have chemicals within them that have developed over, you know, centuries of evolution that keep these things away or from even attacking them in the first place. And they're called phytochemicals. So these phytochemicals are what are acting in our body and can act as a medicine for different ailments. And I know this part is a little nerdy, but I wanted to go over the four main phytochemicals. So first there's alkaloids, and those, they're kind of bitter tasting, they can often be toxic, but we do use a lot of alkaloids in our daily lives. Well, maybe some of them not in our daily lives because one of them is cocaine, and I mean, not judging you if you use cocaine in your daily life, but I don't know if that would be a healthy choice. Another one is caffeine. If you use that in your daily life, heavens, there's a lot of people that do that. Probably a bit more safe than cocaine. 
Ephedrine is another one, morphine and nicotine. So honestly, a lot of addictive substances that I just gave examples of for alkaloids, but not all of them are that way. The next group of phytochemicals is glycosides. And this is a large group of phytochemicals. Some act as laxatives. There are things called cardiac glycosides. So cardiac, we know it's talking about the heart and it can help your heart function. I'm actually going to be talking about an example of one that was found within like the history of medicinal plants that I thought was really cool. Glycosides can also act as a diuretic and that basically means it helps you go pee more often. It just speeds that up. Next group is polyphenols. That includes things like astringent tannins. And I know that sounds like what the heck is that? But that's the kind of stuff that like makes you pucker or kind of that like lingering feeling on your tongue from a grape. Not like a papery feeling on your tongue, but it kind of just like sticks there. And a lot of polyphenols actually help with gynecological disorders. Last group is terpenes, and those are largely found in conifers, but also other plants that have resinous sap, so kind of that sticky sap. So they're aromatic, and that's to really help them repel herbivores from eating them, and we use them for things like, you know, essential oils and aromatherapy. So this includes plants like a rose plant, lavender, pine, juniper, things like that. And something that I thought was really cool is that not only humans are intaking plants and using them as medicine, but there's actually some animals that do this as well. Primates do this. Monarch butterflies, which I thought was so interesting. They will eat certain plants to help them if they are suffering from different ailments. And sheep, they will all ingest medicinal plants when they are feeling ill. I think actually, I don't remember if it was like a story I heard... This is like just coming to me on the fly. So when I was younger, I read a lot of Heartland. I like love, I had a horse phase, right? Does every girl have like a horse girl phase? Probably not. But I remember it might have been in there or might have been like in medicinal plants. We talked about this, but a farmer noticed his horses were eating a lot of willow trees and willow trees have a compound in them that help with pain. And so from that, he figured that or it was a single horse, and he figured out that this horse was eating this tree for pain because it had a broken, like, hoof or something. Something was hurting it, and he figured it out because it was eating willow trees. Don't know if that's real, but it was a good story. So maybe we can add horses to some of the animals that eat plants when they're ill. I'm sure there's quite a few animals that will do this, but those are just some examples of, you know, the primates, monarch butterflies, sheep, and horses according to horse girl Rachel's memory. Okay, so you know I had to ask the question of how long have plants been used for medicine? I love learning about the history of plants and how they have come into our lives. So this goes really far back for medicinal plants. Like it's such a broad subject, right? So many millions of plants I think could be put into the realm of medicinal plants. So they've been used since prehistoric times. So they actually found a burial site with a Neanderthal man and it was discovered in northern Iraq in the Shandavar cave. 
And with one of the Neanderthal people that they found specifically, he had eight species of plants that were believed to be used for medicinal purpose. And he's dated to be about 60,000 years old, and some of those plants are still used for medicine today. And just as a note to this tale, I did read that according to some recent research, they are skeptical that this Neanderthal actually did bring in those plants. They think perhaps it was a rodent that burrowed in and brought these plants with it, and it just happened to burrow in around this Neanderthal man that had passed away and had left the debris of those flowers and plants in there. So this story, you know, it could be prehistoric times, but they think it might be this rodent, which was kind of a letdown. But I don't know, maybe it wasn't the rodent. Maybe it was. Moving on, it's still really early that we do have evidence of plants being used. So the Sumerian civilization, which is before Mesopotamia, like before the Fertile Crescent and like the birthplace of mankind, they have records on clay tablets dating back to about 3000 BC with hundreds of medicinal plants listed, including opium, which we still use today. Another example is Otzi the Iceman was discovered and he lived sometime in 3000 BC, so kind of around the same period of the Sumerian civilization, and he was found with a mushroom that was probably used to treat whipworm, and that is a parasitic worm in the large intestine. Moving on with these examples, in 2700 BC, about 300 years later, the Chinese were using herbs in more scientific ways to help people, and we also have in 2500 BC really early Ayurvedic texts on medicine, and Ayurvedic is basically just Indian medicine based in India. In 1550 BC, Egyptians were recording their knowledge of illnesses and cures with over 700 medicinal formulas on the Ebers papyrus. It included plants like aloe, cannabis, castor bean, garlic, juniper, mandrake, some very common ones that we use today. And then later in 460 to 380 BC, Hippocrates, who's also known as the father of medicine, classified herbs into their essential elements of hotter cold, moisture dry, and he developed a system of prognosis using herbs. In 60 AD, a Roman army physician, Dioscortes, he wrote De Materia Medica, and this is a five-volume work that covers about 500 plants. It describes them, it shows how to prepare them, and has about a thousand simple drug recipes within it. It was written in Greek, and because of the detailed descriptions and the origins listed and how he had written out the medical virtues of each plant, it has remained a standard text for about 1,500 years. And yeah, it's still used today. I remember in my medicinal plants class, we went down to the library and they had like a copy of De Materia Medica that you could flip through. And we had all been assigned a plant to research in groups. And so you could flip through that and see if you were one of the lucky ones that had your plant listed in it. Because like I said, he did about 500 plants. But it was really cool even just like see a copy of what he had done. It's a beautiful book. So much work went into it, and it's cool that it has stuck around for that long. 
During the Middle Ages, monks were translating and copying classical text, and they were the ones maintaining herb gardens. So because of that, they were also the ones who were preparing herbals to help people, and being monks, they combined these prescriptions heavily with prayer. That was their kind of religious duty to do so. Herbalism became very prominent in the Islamic world during this period as well, particularly in Baghdad. By the 1530s, perichelsis was changing Europe's attitude towards healthcare because at this point in time, it had been tainted by dishonest physicians and apothecaries taking advantage of people, which is really unfortunate, but that's what was happening. So he was inspired by the doctrine of signatures. Some of you may be familiar with that, but it's basically the theory that the outward appearance of a plant is giving you an indication of the problem it could cure. So for example, if the plant has a flower that looks like a heart, then it's probably going to help some sort of heart problem in your body. Surprisingly, this theory is sometimes very accurate, sometimes not, but it's pretty cool how sometimes it works out very well. In the 16th century, Mexico had the Badanius manuscript, which described medicinal plants in Central America. So you can see this is like a worldwide thing going around. It's a very central part to human civilization to come up with medicines, right? That's how a civilization is going to thrive and keep going with healthy people. So moving on, in 1775, Dr. William Withering was treating a patient with heart failure and couldn't find a way to help with any of the traditional medicines that he had. So he sent the patient home, the family decided to try their own things. They gave him an herbal brew based on an old family recipe that they had, and this patient started to recover. So of course, Dr. Withering was very intrigued, and he started to experiment with the herbal recipe that this family had. He was able to narrow it down. He found that this recipe used a plant called foxglove. You guys have probably heard of it. And it was one of the main ingredients. And he saw that it was the component that was helping with the heart failure. He also found out that the therapeutic dose, like the helpful dose that could cure heart failure, was also very close to the toxic level where side effects would start to develop. And I feel like this is... A very important note with all medicinal plants, there's always a level that is like therapeutic and helpful and there's always a level that can be toxic and really harmful to you. And this could be like with anything. If you eat way too much sugar, you can die. If you drink way too much water, you can die. And the same goes with medicine, except it's just in smaller amounts, right? So Dr. Withering, he eventually narrowed down what was going on within this plant, what chemical, and it was a glycoside. That's one of the four types of phytochemicals within medicinal plants like we talked about. And the two that were acting were digoxin and digitoxin. And they are two of the cardiac glycosides that I mentioned we'd be talking about. And they are still used today in treating heart conditions. This was back in 1775 when they started to figure this out. And it's cool that it is still around being used today over 200 years later. In 1803, the first drug was isolated from a plant. A man by the name of Friedrich Surturner of Germany extracted a white crystal from the opium poppy and he discovered morphine. In 1852, scientists were able to make the first synthetic drug, meaning 
they made it themselves like in a lab, that drug being salicin, which is found naturally in willow bark. I talked a little bit about that with the horse story that somehow is in my mind. And by 1899, so almost 50 years later, the drug company Bayer, who you've heard of, they used this in a more mild form to create aspirin, and that is one of the most widely used drugs today. So naturally, this chemical is found in willow bark. I think I've actually heard of people who, if you're like dealing with pain while hiking or something, if you can find willow bark and chew on it, that can kind of help you keep going in an emergency situation. But this really started the synthetic age of chemists copying what is found in a plant and either extracting it from the plant or they can synthetically create it. Sometimes only the plant form is effective. Like you can try and create it in a lab, but it will not work. So you have to go to the plant and extract it there. Okay, we're going to take a quick break because I have been talking so much about medicinal plants. I, You guys can probably see how much I am loving this, but we're going to come back talk about how many plants are medicinal, how to use them, and then which house plants you can be using in your home that have medicinal properties. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back and getting right back into it. How many plants are medicinal? Now for me, like Rachel philosophy, I would argue that to an extent all plants are medicinal to some degree, right? The unfortunate thing is that there is like a huge lack of research when it comes to plants' medicinal properties. There's so many plants in the world and the time it takes to dive into how a plant affects humans and how it interacts and what chemicals are playing a part in it, it's just a crazy amount of research. And being such a broad field, there is so much discovery to be made. At one point during this class, I was sure I was going to be a researcher for medicinal plants because there is so much to be known in this area. I'm sure a large part of this like big gap is because research is rather slow because when you are testing something as serious as like a drug that everybody could use, you need to know its efficacy, its safety standards, and there's such a long rigorous process before it can be a public medicine. But yeah, the research to begin with, some of it is there for some plants, Others, it's completely missing. And if it has made its way to be a public medicine that we use today is gone through quite a process to get there. But yeah, I would argue that all plants are medicinal. Like the food you eat is affecting you in some ways, helping you in some way. Even like the spices 
that you are putting on your food can really help in some way. Like even basil is an antioxidant and can help with stomach issues. And so you putting that in or on your food is affecting you and helping you. I think that's probably another reason why having a rounded healthy diet that includes a lot of plants is so important because they affect us positively in so many ways. So anyways, I will get off my little rant about that and go to actual numbers that have been published. So about 40% of the drugs behind a pharmacy's counter in the western world is derived from plants. That's a huge amount. That's amazing. According to the International Union for Conservation of Nature, there are about 50 to 80,000 flowering plant species worldwide that are used for medicinal purposes. And that's just flowering plant species. There are plenty of others beyond that. And because medicinal plants are so widely used and sought after, this can actually lead to problems. So in one scientific paper, I took a quote from it, and it said, A highly conservative estimate states that the current loss of plant species is between 100 and 1,000 times higher than the expected natural extinction rate and that the earth is losing at least one potential major drug every two years. And this is not only due to over-collection of these plants that we need, but it's also due to climate change and habitat destruction. It's something that I don't think is really at the forefront of what we think about when it comes to climate change and us over-harvesting things, but medicinal plants are a huge part of that. And if we lose that, that's like a whole source of medicine being lost, especially for other countries. Some countries still rely on herbalism and these plants in a more raw form. And in 2017, it was estimated that the global market for botanical extracts and medicines was worth several hundred billion dollars. So you can see why this is going on. It's a very lucrative area to be in. And so I think when it comes to over-harvesting and things like that, I'm sure money is more compelling for these people in some cases. I hope not. I hope people are good and think about the earth and what's going on and being sustainable, but I think in some cases it's definitely not the case. And as a note, herbal remedies, they do often have a really safe image to them, but they do have high risk of toxicity and other effects. I kind of talked about that with the dosage of certain plants. They can be great to a certain point and then they can be toxic. All right, so when it comes to prepping a medicinal plant, like how do you even use it? You have it, you gathered it, what are you supposed to do with it? So there's several different ways that medicinal plants have been used throughout generations and are being used. So there's decoctions, which is drying the plant and boiling it and using the water. So basically like a tea. That is literally what that is. There's powdering, which is smashing a dried plant to a powder to be ingested. Powdering can also be used when creating different tablets. They can be compressed to create like a swallowable tablet. You can also do extractions with alcohol. So you let the dried plant sit in alcohol and it'll bring out different properties. This forms a tincture. I actually use a tincture sometimes when I'm sick. I think, oh, what is it called? I think it's called kick-ass immune. That is the only time you'll hear me swear on this podcast is when I'm telling you about a medicine and that is the name of it. 
but honestly, it does not taste good. You let it sit under your tongue for a few minutes and then you just swallow it, but I wouldn't describe it as like enjoyable, but it does really help me like kick out any cold or sickness that is coming on and I use it pretty often. If you ask my husband, he thinks it's terrible, but I just think he's a baby. It's not that bad. So tinctures are definitely a thing and you can find them like prepared at like more herbal stores, like natural grocers, things like that, or you can make it yourself. You can prepare a medicinal plant by making a poultice, which is boiling the plant and wrapping it in a cloth to apply it on your skin. And then of course, just in more general terms, you can be applying medicinal plants by topically applying them. You can ingest them orally. I know some medicinal plants have even been used as suppositories. That's literally where you put like, could you describe it as like a waxy sort of pill up your bum? You, you put it in your butthole and it melts there and apparently that skin is very absorbent and gets it into your bloodstream fast. Have I used one? No, I have not. And I pray that I don't have to because it sounds like a little messy. I don't know. I don't know. If you have tried it, please don't let me know. I don't want to know. And in today's world, we mostly synthesize our drugs that have been gathered from plants, that we've identified the pure chemical in the plant and we synthetically create that chemical, put it in a pill, a tablet, and we ingest it that way because it is very fast acting that way. So if you're interested in using a plant medicinally, you can look up a reputable recipe and follow it. Just be aware, plants are powerful. They're really cool. They can help our bodies, but also they can be toxic. So please act cautiously. Yeah, just be responsible when trying out these recipes. Some of them are really mild and can be really cool. So speaking of that, what houseplants are medicinal? When I was looking this up, there were a lot of plants that were suggested that were not really like normal house plants that you would find in your home. Some were just a stretch, like it would be the lavender bush. I actually saw that on like Martha Stewart's website. I'm like, okay, Martha Stewart. I don't know of anyone that keeps a lavender bush inside their home. If you do, cool. I'm very proud of you, but I honestly have never seen that. If you have one in your front yard or you know like a local park that has some, they don't mind you taking some, you can totally use that. Look up the recipes on your own, but I'm going to focus on the plants that I feel like, okay, I can see that in someone's home. It's not too far of a stretch, maybe some of these more than others, but I really tried to narrow it down. Also, some of them, these lists that I was looking up mentioned things like spider plants, peace lilies, ferns, because they clean the air according to the NASA study. And holy cow, we've like ran into this myth in like the past five episodes. And I know I have repeated myself so many times about this, but you can listen to episode, where is it? I'm looking for it. Episode 47 to hear all the details but that NASA study does not really translate well to our home environments. So I toss those out the window. I don't even think a plant cleaning the air could like really count with what we're talking about as being medicinal. So yeah, I just did not include those. First and foremost, I am sure you guys know this one and what is coming. It's aloe vera. The gel inside of the plant can reduce skin inflammation, it can soothe burns, and it can actually help cuts and skin infections. 
Another cool thing about aloe vera being used medicinally is you can make it into a juice and it's considered a superfood. It's anti-inflammatory, it can help relieve constipation, and it encourages good gut bacteria. You can find it at any supermarket. I actually know this personally because I was just trying to find some aloe vera on like my grocery store app and it kept coming up with aloe vera juice and I was like, ooh, that sounds gross. Please, I just want the gel. But you can buy it and you can try it. Knowing all the things that it can do, maybe I should try it and give it a chance and not just cross it off as gross. Next is the English marigold. It's also known as calendula, which you may have heard of because it is a very popular medicinal plant. And this one I felt like was a little bit of a stretch. I don't know of anyone that has grown English marigold in their homes. More so, it's like something used in a yard. So, calendula, or English marigold, can help pain when it is applied topically. So, you can rub it on insect bites and it can reduce the pain and swelling. And it's not just like taking the plant and rubbing it on your insect bite. It's usually by making a calendula oil. But you take that oil, add it to beeswax or some other sort of carrier wax to make a salve to be applied topically to those bites or to some other painful sore you may have. And if you're interested, to make this oil, you dry the flowers, you put them in a jar, you add olive oil to cover up the flowers, you stir it up and cap the jar, and then you can either put it in a warm sunny place, shake it a few times daily, and after about six weeks... It's good to go or you can do this by applying heat and it's much faster. But after that, you strain out the flowers and you now have an infused oil that can be stored in a cool, dark place. And this is the calendula oil. The oil can be added to make the salve that I talked about. It can be used in baths or creams, massage oils, facial steams, tinctures, and teas. And this one is said to be gentle enough that babies can use it. I've never tried that, so please don't take my word on it. Please do your own research. This plant, honestly, I think is very well-researched and is very mild, but it's effective and used really widely. Because when I looked up recipes, there was a bajillion. And honestly, it sounds really easy to make the oil. I feel like this is a great place to start if you ever wanted to try to get into medicinal plants. And apparently, this is one that can be grown inside if you want to. Next is basil. I had to include this one because you know what? I've seen basil plants in the grocery store. I've definitely taken one home and had it sit in my kitchen. Or to be honest, it slowly died. But you know what? That's part of the plant learning process. I should try again because it's been a few years since that happened. But basil is loaded with vitamins, minerals, a range of antioxidants. And there are some studies out there that suggest it can actually prevent carcinogen-induced tumors. When you ingest basil, it can actually help treat stomach spasms, loss of appetite, gas, fluid retention, head colds, worm infections, and when applied topically, it can even help with warts. I've actually personally used basil on a wart that I was dealing with, and it worked. It was just like the essential oil on a band-aid, and I strapped it on. It was like a little stinky, but it really wasn't that bad, and... It was so much better than getting it burnt off at a doctor's office. With They use liquid nitrogen to burn off your warts. And I've, I had that done when I was younger and it was kind of painful. So I would definitely recommend using essential oil of basil to get rid of warts. Basil can also be used in teas, in tinctures, or like I said, as an essential oil or in a salve. 
The next plant I wanted to cover was English ivy. And English ivy has antioxidant, antispasmatic, and anti-allergic effects. So if used as an ointment, it can soothe stiff joints and aching muscles. That's just like applying it to the skin. Probably some of the antispasmatic properties coming into play there. And when you freshly crush the leaves, you can use them right onto like a bee or wasping to take away the pain. Or you can use English ivy in a tincture and you can use that on stings when applied topically. English ivy has been known to cause dermatitis in people who have sensitive skin. That's just kind of like an itchy rash. But a lot of people use it to help chronic bronchitis. I've even seen it used in recipes for laundry detergents, for shampoo, for soaps, etc. This was another plant that had so many cool recipes that you could be adding it to use all throughout your home and as a medicine. Next is the areca palm. When I first looked it up, some of the claims were that this plant having a really high transpiration rate, basically the plant lets water out via their stomatas, their pores, a lot higher than other plants. It makes the air more humid, and so that can help with asthma, your sinuses, bronchitis, and help dry, wrinkled skin. I'm not sure how well that would work. I feel like you'd have to have quite a few areca palms to like be able to really help with that. But that was one of the benefits listed for them. And that's not even like taking apart and using it in a more medicinal sense like we've been talking about. But they have been used in Ayurvedic medicine, that's Indian medicine, to treat burn wounds. And it has been commonly chewed as a sort of like addictive substance that can speed up your central nervous system. And it's been known to help with schizophrenia, glaucoma as a digestive aid, so many different things. But as far as like recipes that I could find for this one, there weren't so many. I don't think this is one that's as widely used as like something in like a tea or a poultice. So I have two more I wanted to share with you. There were a lot more than this, not of like super common houseplants, but of other plants that you could possibly have in your home. So next was a pothos which pleasantly surprised me. I love a good pothos plant, and there have been some very preliminary studies showing that they have antioxidant and antipyretic effects. Antipyretic means that it reduces fevers and can help bring down body temperatures. However, this study was done on rats, and it has not been tested on humans yet, so maybe one day in the future we will be seeing different common like household recipes that use a pothos plant but for now they're still doing really early studies on it and lastly there is sedum which is a succulent plant it's commonly used for cough high blood pressure it can be used for wounds and the leaves and flowers are edible certain varieties can actually be added to soups smoothies and green salads and when applied topically, they can be used for rashes or ulcers, warts, pimples, etc. If you do happen to have sedum, you can check to see if it's like a safe variety and try out some of these recipes. And that is all I have for medicinal houseplants. I feel like I, I could go on and on with different plants and what they could do. But like I said, it was starting to get to be a stretch of them not being really normal houseplants that you have in your home. But I do think it's something to keep in mind that plants are simply amazing. The things that they have developed within them to keep them safe and how they can be used for 
human consumption to help us with diseases and different human ailments, I think is amazing. Truly amazing. It makes me love plants that much more and I hope you guys enjoyed learning along with me and I hope you appreciate plants just a little bit more and all that they can do. Hope you guys have a great week and I hope you will join me for next week's episode. Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend, and you be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.